Hey everyone, Dr. B, thank you for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. A little under the weather, I apologize, you may hear that in my voice. And welcome back. Today we're going to talk about a case study. What the heck is a case study? Something new. This came across my desk a few days ago, and I think it's worth sharing. A case study or a case report, this is in healthcare, but you'll see it in other professions and disciplines as well. You'll see it in school. You'll see it in continuing education. It's a detailed report, at least in healthcare in this in this case, uh, a detailed report of symptoms, signs, diagnosis, and treatment, and then a follow-up on typically one patient or one case. It's usually It usually describes an unusual or novel occurrence, and as such, it remains one of the cornerstones of learning in dentistry, in medical knowledge. Because, you know, you, you get a certain amount of education in school, but then there are the exceptions and the the things that you don't learn about. You can't learn everything in, in a professional program. So case studies are wonderful. I always like them. It's a story. I love, I love stories. And you learn something from listening to the story. You'll see this at continuing education courses. You'll see it at conventions. You'll see it online, CE. And you'll see it in the bar with a bunch of dentists having a few beers and talking about their case studies. That would be kind of an informal version of that. And again, we learn from that. The case studies I typically like are the failures. In other words, here are the symptoms, here are the signs, here's the diagnosis, this is what we did, and it didn't work. And then typically you get something that does work, but sometimes we learn more from our failures. In any case, the case report that I'm going to talk about today was not a failure. It was a huge success. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it illustrates how important it is to test your oral microbiome. Before you go see the doctor, you know, you may see the doctor, he may have some ideas, he or she may have some ideas on what the diagnosis will be, but they usually send you for testing. And dentistry, that's typically not the case. We'll schedule an appointment and you'll come in and we'll try this, we'll try that. Typically this happens in in gum therapy. It's We're not quite sure, we know the, the general condition and, and reason that you have bleeding gums, but we don't know on a biological or actually on a microscopic or cellular level of what bug is causing this, what's wrong with the oral microbiome. Before the oral microbiome, it, it was a little less obvious. It was more of a very broad stroke. We try everything and something will stick. And often, because we did try a very broad, worked and, and treated with broad strokes, we never really understood what actually worked. We were just glad it worked for the patient. And then we kept doing that over and over because it was working some of the time. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? Very unscientific. That's a lot of what clinical work is. If you don't know what the problem is, you try different things. Do you feel like a guinea pig at this point in time? Does that sound familiar? It, it happens. It, it is. It is something. It is a reality and... Often when I did that with my patients, I would tell them I'm stumped. We've, I've researched all the literature. You've been referred out to different specialists. They also say the same thing. Let's try this. But I give them a reason of why I'm trying it. And then we take copious notes. And if it does work, we try and narrow down 
as to what did work and what didn't work. And in a way, that is a case report. There are a lot of unusual circumstances out there and conditions and Patients present with different symptoms. It's being a clinician is as much as it is science as it is an art form. And actually, to be honest with you, that's why I love this profession. That's why I love practicing healthcare, the detective work, and the collection of data, and then finally getting to the solution is wonderful. It's so, so gratifying. Anyway, I digress a little bit. Let's get to the case study. So this case study, again is to illustrate why it's important to test for your numbers of bugs in your mouth. What are the different populations? What's there? What isn't there by default? This is important, and, and this is something new in dentistry. Uh, this uh, case study is from my favorite oral microbiome testing company. They're the newest to the market. It's been about two years now, probably a little bit more. And they also happen to have the, the best testing because they test for everything. I mean, there are many other reasons. We, we have a, uh, on our YouTube page, we have a few YouTube sessions. Uh, one was a continuing education for dentists, teaching them how to use testing in the clinical environment. Uh, I'll put links to that. That's, it is suitable for view, viewing from, for a layperson. You'll learn a lot from it. There are three different links, and I'll put those in the show notes because I think you'll learn a lot. You'll understand why. You'll understand more about the test. I don't want to go too much into that. But the reason this is such a good test is because, and you'll see later in this case report, it tested for everything. And even though this patient was tested before the bristle test, those tests, because they, don't, they only test for five or six or seven or eight bugs, because it was not a test that tested for all of the potential bugs in the mouth, it was missed. And you'll see what the consequences of that are. Oh, that was. Yeah, so basically, you've heard me say this before. It's a very simple idea. You cannot treat successfully, or you, you cannot treat something that you can't see, or can't understand, or can't quantify. And that's why testing is so important, and that's why it's exciting. A, we know about the oral microbiome, and B, we can now test for it. High-resolution testing, testing for everything in the mouth, and comparing... Uh, of what does show up in the test, which bugs are present in the mouth, how do they compare to their neighbors, at, at what different numbers, that's all very important. Again, the diversity or lack of diversity is a key element in deciding how to treat a patient. So let me get into the uh, case history. I'm going to try and keep this simple. I know a lot of practitioners listen. I will put into the show notes the actual case study including, uh, again, this is for practitioners, uh, deep pocket readings, periodontal pocket readings, more of the scientific dental, dental stuff. And that way you can look the case over in, in, a, more clinical, in a more clinical way and, and come to some sort of conclusion that will help you in, in your practice down the road. But anyway, so, all right, patient presents male in his 40s. Uh, health history, no medications, and that patient was monitoring glucose levels. Not sure how. Was it a, a continuous glucose monitor or was it just uh, testing blood sugar levels at different times during the day? Sounds like the patient had diabetes, has diabetes. Otherwise, they wouldn't be testing, although 
I test occasionally because I, I want to know. I've, I've worn a CGM. Sometimes patients are just wondering how do they react to different foods. So hard to say, but likely that they have diabetes. Whether it's type 1 or type 2, it's not clear. Diet and hygiene. Again, this is a very condensed patient history, but the basics. Meticulous at-home hygiene, including brushing three times a day, flossing three times a day, and a nightly water pick. That is meticulous. That is incredible. I'm sure this patient is, from a behavioral standpoint, is a, is a great patient. They're doing everything they possibly can. A diet without diet, no carbs, or it says without sugary substances. Again, that's very vague. Very difficult to ascertain exactly what that diet is. Is it a vegetarian diet? Is it a paleo diet? Is it is there meat and saturated animal fat? Uh, how are the omega three to sixes doing? A, a lot more would be nice there. But again, I think what we're getting here is are just the the important, the very important things as it relates to this case. Clinical assessment: no history of cavities. That's interesting. Severe bleeding during regular dental cleaning. So the gums always bleed. They bleed upon provocation. When they get touched by the instruments, again, people will bleed in the dental chair during a cleaning, not because we're cutting them or the hygienist is cutting them, unless we slip, of course. That's a different story, and you would know that. It would hurt. It would hurt a lot. But just provocation, even a smooth surface of an instrument, the back end of a surface, even brushing, for example, when you brush, you'll see bleeding. That's what we call provocation. And when you touch the gums and they bleed, that means they are very swollen, very edematous. They have a lot of inflammation and they will bleed. It's not a cut. They just bleed. The surface of the tissue is slightly ulcerated. Very, very common, by the way. And by the way, we're talking about gum disease in this case study. And gum disease is one of the major, most prevalent diseases in the world. So this is something that we see all the time. Heavy interdental plaque buildup on this patient, despite all that meticulous at-home hygiene, three times a day for flossing and brushing, still very heavy interdental plaque buildup. Staining and calculus buildup as well. That's related to the buildup as well, but it's staining and um, the, the soft plaque calcifies and becomes calculus or tartar. I'm sure this patient was getting regular cleanings. Despite that, this was still collecting on the hard surfaces in the mouth, the, the teeth. Periodontal assessment. This is the assessment of degree of gum disease. Generalized, chronic, moderate, advanced periodontitis. That's a severe diagnosis. That's, that's Type 1 would be gingivitis. This is probably... A three or four. Actually, it says here with areas of 50% bone loss, it's a type four to type five, uh, which is the most advanced form of gum disease. So pretty serious. Five to seven millimeter pockets. Not very deep pocketing for a type four case, but nonetheless, there is pocketing. This is full-on gum disease. Normal pockets are about three millimeters deep. That's the... Most of us have had periodontal readings. You should be getting those every year. That's the standard of care. A good office will uh, update every six months, sometimes every three months. Sometimes they'll abbreviate it by looking at the deep areas that were problematic beforehand, or they'll do a whole mapping of all the pockets in the mouth. Each tooth should get about should get six readings on each side, three, and how deep are those pockets. The deeper the pocket, the more severe the disease is. That depth of pocket, as it gets deeper, it becomes more difficult to clean. The bacteria in the pocket are more anaerobic, more oxygen-hating, and they become more virulent. There's more inflammation. Also, it becomes much more difficult for the patient at home to clean their teeth in a deeper pocket. 
floss doesn't reach that deep. Toothbrush certainly does. Toothpaste, even mouthwash doesn't reach those areas. All right, primary complaints. This is otherwise known as chief complaints of the patient. What do they come in for? What, what brought them in? Episodic periodontal abscesses once every one to two months causing extreme pain. So every four to six to eight weeks, this patient is getting uh, sores or an abscess. It could be a, a fistula, it could be a pimple or a boil. They are extremely painful. This refers back to my earlier comment that bleeding upon provocation is typically an altered mucosal layer. It's, it's redder in color and it bleeds upon provocation. You touch the gums, you brush them, anything like that. Even eating will cause bleeding. But this is an extreme version of it. We have all sorts of conditions, ulcerative gingivitis, and that's a vague term, but we, we, we have NUG, necrotizing ulcerative gingivitis. We have lots of different uh, names for specific conditions where the gums are on fire, bleeding, and prone to these abscesses. And then there's also a mention here of water blisters in mouth that pop and ooze watery substances in extracted wisdom teeth areas. Again, I wouldn't, that, that throws us off a little bit. I don't think that's related directly. Indirectly it is. I mean, again, I've read this case report, so I, I, I know what's coming. Other notes, mucosal sensitivity to sensodyne and fluoride rinses. This is interesting. It's probably the surfactants in the toothpaste or the fluoride rinse. Sodium lauryl sulfate, when the tissue is raw and thinned out due to dysbiosis of the oral microbiome, inflammation, some of the tissue is necrosing, dying, and, and just falling away, necrosing away. That tissue, it's like an open wound on your skin. You can rub a little alcohol into your skin and nothing will happen, or a little skin cream. Or you can take a hot shower and you won't feel it. But if you have like a healing cut or a bruise, not a bruise, a, a what's it called, a scab, that will hurt. You will get a response from that because the tissue is thinned. It's, it's ulcerated. That epithelial lining on the tissue is not protecting you. So, so they are very sensitive to soapy type of strong oral care products. All right, so this, this case study goes is over a period of seven years of diagnostic and, and it says here treatment failure. So a lot of diagnosis was made, was done, and a lot of treatment was done, and there was a lot of failure in treatment. So typically, if the treatment is a failure, the diagnosis was incorrect. Let me just give you a little review here. So patient completed scale, scaling and root planing. We call that SRP, scale and root planing therapy. That's most of us over the age of 40 have had this. It's a deep cleaning it's on top of your normal cleanings that you go in for on a prophylactic basis. It is typically not covered by insurance or maybe only 80%. And it is costly and it can be a little tender and a little sensitive. And you typically, you will be numbed for it because they do have to get underneath the gum and scrape the root surfaces and even do what's called curatage. They scrape the inside of the tissue as well. If there's necrotic tissue, we try and remove that dead tissue. So anyway, this patient had completed SRPs from 2014 through 2017 with no meaningful improvement in periodontal symptoms and abscessing. 
Let me just stop here and say this is very, very typical. Gum disease is very difficult to treat, to reverse. Sometimes we get to arrest it. It's a very complex disease, multifactorial, ties in with other parts of the body systemically, most uh, typically diabetes or being insulin uh, resistant. And so, again, that broad stroke doesn't always capture what is actually going on. And this is how periodontal therapy has been going for a long time. And if the SRPs do work a little bit, then you're a surgical candidate to reduce the depth of those pockets. It's painful, it's expensive. Again, years and years of therapy. And typically, most people are very frustrated. Very little forward movement on healing. Certainly, a gum recession occurs that's permanent unless you get some flap therapy or a graft tissue placed, graft surgery. Very, very commonly very frustrating for both the practitioner and the patient. You're really just slowing things down, it feels like, or arresting the disease. However, in 2017, a salivary test was completed. This is an oral microbiome test. I won't tell you which test it was or where it was done, but the laboratory, the laboratory test resulted in no significant findings in analysis, which is what this test did, of only 13 putative periodontal pathogens. There's a figure here, so if you're a provider, you'll see who did the test and how incomplete the test is. It's just looking for a few of the bad boys. Some of the marker bugs that if we see are very prevalent, then we know that there's an infection. Well, we know there's an infection, it's clear, but we don't know exactly what is going on. So again, this test outdated, outmoded, missed missed a, an opportunity here to help diagnose this case. Patient was referred to a total of four different periodontal specialists over the course of four years starting in 2018. That was after the test. That is frustrating, and that cost a lot of time, a lot of gum recession during that time, and it also cost a lot of money. And, and time in the chair as well. That, that's a time value of money uh, cost as well. All right. Um, okay, the, the next section here, a new hope. <laughs> uh, it's true. I'm not laughing because it's, it's just wonderful. Um, I'm just thinking of that uh, Star Wars uh, movie, A New Hope. Anyway, enter bristle salivary testing. Bristle is the test that I recommend and have done, uh, have interacted with a lot and have been using and uh, recommending to the practitioners that follow me and but also in my own practice, but also been recommending this test for people online that can buy this and test at home. It's wonderful. I'll include a link in the show notes. So if you heard that for the first time, you can go out and get that test. You don't have to go out and get it. You have to go to your computer, order it, and wait for it in the mail. Anyway, and then you just have to spit into a little vial. So the general dentist, and I love this part of it, it was the general dentist that referred the patient to complete a bristle salivary oral microbiome test, which analyzes, by the way, 700 plus, it's Probably it's it's everything. We're probably up to eight hundred now, but it's a it's a high res genomic shotgun approach where it's looking. It's looking even if it doesn't have a name for a bug, it will find it. It's looking for everything that is unique, and then it categorizes it and lists it. So that's the way any test should be, right? High resolution, all potential information. The test was recommended by general dentist, not by those four. Periodontist that this patient was referred to, good for him or her, the general dentist. That was that was the tipping point in this patient's uh, di diagnosis and also 
the, the beginning of healing and and a better better results. The summary of the test results again. This was in the date is not here. November of twenty one. I think it was two thousand eighteen. So overall appears to have low scores in all oral health condition related categories. This is how the test works. There, there's a score for halitosis, which is bad breath, gum inflammation, tooth decay, gut impact or connection to the gut microbiome, nitrate reduction. Um, the other scores are diversity and commensals. The only thing that came up here on, on the test, again, this is an unusual case, uh, that the, anyway, commensal was low, the beneficial bacteria rating was low, overall appears to have low scores in all the health conditions related categories, the ones I just mentioned. However, the diversity score was zero out of 10. You want high diversity. You want an eight or a nine or a 10. And that signaled a red flag to that needed investigation. Not, not a big, you know, not a big red flag, but very unusual that you would score low in everything else. However, no diversity means that there's one bad bug ruling is is king of the neighborhood. I mean, they they are the big bully and that is not normal. A healthy oral microbiome has hundreds of different bugs and viruses and fungi cells, yeast cells, and they're all working together. They all have a job to do and they're all working well and the health of that space, the oral space is is optimal because not there isn't one bug creating any trouble a bully for example so that that was a big red flag here is the other interesting fact this is from the raw data by the way every test has raw data but you can dig for it even if you are a layperson it's there and of course this is the this is very important information for your dentist individual microbial species findings in other words what were the individual species what was what was found what typically what exact bugs were found in how many. There were 86 total bacterial and fungal microbes detected. Out of all common periodontal pathogens, those are bugs that are typically seen in 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 the causally in, in gum disease, only F nucleatum was detected in the patient sample. That's unusual. And it would only comprise 0.01% of the total microbiome. So the bug that causes gum disease really wasn't there in big numbers. And we would have expected that, but that's why the gum inflammation score was so low. But something is setting off these gums, right? Causing bleeding and the sores, the little fistulas. Undetected were the typical bad boys. There are a whole bunch here. Uh, P. gingivalis is the big one. Completely undetected. Very unusual. They should be there. So what, what finally was discovered in the test, it's, it's in the same test, was that this literally was a dysbiotic nightmare, very unusual. Dysbiotic meaning a, a dysbiosis of the biome, the oral microbiome. There was one single pathogen and it was a complete takeover. You know, think, think North Korea, think Russia, th that kind of thing. No rule of law, out of control, just nonsensical things going on. Um, and what was the bug? The bug is, and I did a lot of research on this bug. I call it the SNM bug. It's uh, called the Serratia marsicens. And it was at unbelievable. The percentile was 100%. And the relative abundance was 73, almost, well, 73, sorry, 78%. That's way out of whack. There's no one bug that should have those numbers. So very unusual situation here. 
Again, relative abundance, 78% of the patient's mouth is dominated by one bug, the S. marsicens. And the percentile of abundance was 100% for this bug compared to the general population pool. Totally out of whack. You just rarely see that, even in someone that has severe gum disease. And the question is, is, you know, is this bug responsible for the bone loss and the tissue and the necrosis of the tissue and the deep pockets? We'll talk about that a little bit in the end. All right. Bristles testing technology characterizes all bacterial species in a patient's saliva. That is so important. Again, high resolution shotgun approach, looking for everything, even if we don't know that it exists. That is wonderful. And again, this is the only test of its kind for the oral microbiome. This, because of that, this is what allowed for the detection of this very uncommon, unusual, in fact, I had never heard of this bug until this, this case report, case study, the Serratia marsicens. In my practice, I have measured and treated sleep issues for thousands of patients. And one of my easy and immediate recommendations for every one of these patients is to start taking a magnesium supplement. It is well understood that magnesium improves the chances of deeper and more restorative sleep. For me personally and for my family, Magnesium Breakthrough has helped me achieve better scores for deep and REM sleep. Magnesium Breakthrough has been a game changer for my wife and I, many family members. It literally possesses a hallowed spot in our vitamin and supplement drawer. At family get-togethers, we remind each other, do you have enough? Did you bring your mag breakthrough? Uh, no exaggeration. Most magnesium supplements contain one to two forms of magnesium. Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium like nature intended. Not including all forms makes no sense when efficacy is the desired result. Not surprisingly, in today's world, 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And unfortunately, eating well can't solve this deficiency given today's farming practices. That's why getting all seven forms of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. Magnesium Breakthrough helps you sleep better. It also helps calm your mind and allows you to feel grounded and relaxed during the day and especially before bed, preparing you for a good night's sleep. Getting the correct amount and versions of magnesium as found in Magnesium Breakthrough also helps improve digestion, supports muscle recovery, and supports healthy bone density and even tooth remineralization. So make sure you are not only taking magnesium, Make sure you are getting all forms of magnesium, which ultimately is what our bodies need to function optimally. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist. Do it now. Your body and brain will thank you. Again, that's magbreakthrough.com slash askthedentist and use promo code askthedentist, all one word, during checkout to save 10%. Restorative sleep is perhaps the most important factor in living a life well-lived. Don't let the quality of your magnesium supplement be anything less than the best it can be. Okay, so what, what do we do with that data? Very interesting. At least now we have a smoking gun, or at least we think we do, because we don't know much about this bug. It's a very unusual situation. So starting in November of 21, Based on the initial bristle test findings, the low microbial diversity, the high levels of this one bug, 
um, he, this patient was immediately referred to a medical specialist for further evaluation. Good idea. We're just covering all bases. Um, I'm, su- I'm not surprised that nothing came back. But it was the right thing to do. Um, patient had multiple consultations with an immunologist, uh, infectious disease expert. Um, again, it could have been something tropical, something they picked up while traveling. The immunologist, that was a good referral. There may be some unique uh, immune suppression where this bug is able to uh, dominate the scene. And this was all done in the Silicon Valley. I won't mention the hospital, but I know the hospital very well. They're wonderful there. Uh, very talented. They actually do have an infectious disease expert there. That not every hospital does. Um, and what else? A full blood panel, additional medical tests, no significant findings as to any systemic health factors that could be influencing the patient's oral health symptoms. Great idea. Got a, got a CYA, cover your ass on these things. It's important. You really need to know systemically, how is that patient doing, and vice versa. If you're a physician and there was something unusual, they would hopefully refer to a dentist as well to see if there's anything going on in the mouth that could be contributing to any unusual findings. By the way, that's less likely to happen. It's more likely that a dentist will refer to a physician and less likely that a physician will refer back to a dentist. Sorry, it's true. Anyway, based on the input from the patient's general dentist, Right on, General Dentist. Patient used Paradex, which is a very strong, heavy staining, very cytotoxic mouthwash for roughly two months beginning around December of 2021. Didn't do anything. Patient retested with Bristol in February 2022. So that's two, two and a half, three months later, maybe two months later, it depends on when in February. And the SNM bug was, were sl- levels were slightly decreased, but uh, still compromised 50%, 56% of the entire oral microbiome. Still way out of whack. No change in periodontal abscessing. Every four weeks, same problem. Remember the uh, patient's chief complaint. Water blisters, other clinical symptoms, including bleeding and interdental plaque buildup, all the same. Okay, then the great discovery. This this is very interesting, and and the chief scientist sorry the chief scientific officer of Bristol, David Lynn. You've heard me interview him. He's a wonderful man. He what I like about him, other than he has an incredible resume, testing startup founder, everything went from the gut microbiome to after after his PhD to the oral microbiome. Thank goodness we're lucky to have him. He's he's a real detective, and he really. I know what happened. When he saw this case, he probably burned the midnight oil. He has a a one-year-old at home with his family. He's got his hands full there. He, he still really wanted to understand this. And this, he knew, this case study would be very interesting for the entire profession and for other researchers as well. Again, he is cutting edge and he's on the leading edge in terms of research. All the data that Bristol's collecting is really helping a lot of researchers including the other testing companies and and helping making Bristol a better test. Okay, so he did a deep dive into the studies. Again, I will do this at times, staying up late at night. There's a lot of information in, in the back trove of studies, and this is where you start making connections. And he found that, A, the SNM bug is a rare pathogen in periodontal disease. Why is it there? Found in fewer than 4% of individuals with severe gum disease. 4%. And Zalatol, he found in another study, 
xylitol, like xylitol gum. We've talked a lot about xylitol. I did an episode on xylitol, I think about three or four episodes ago. I'll, I'll put that in the show links, show link as well, show notes as well. He also discovered that xylitol actually has a very specific inhibition effect, as it does with S-mutans, which is the cavity-causing bug, on serratia marcescens. And this was a 2021 in vitro study, a rather recent study. So based on that, he got back to the dentist, general dentist, and based on that literature, a revised treatment plan was formulated with these two notable additions. Increasing commensal bacteria, in other words, adding some good guys, some good bugs. Again, there was no diversity. So we're just trying to add back in. It's not feeding. It's not a prebiotic. Adding probiotics or, or applying probiotics with the beneficial bacterial strains because the xylitol, which is step two, was being added to reduce the levels of the S. marcescens, a bug, and that was being done with xylitol. So so before we reduced those levels, or while we were reducing the levels of the SNM bug, we were trying to add in the better ones. Very targeted approach. This is how you want to do it. Before we had oral microbiome testing, we weren't even thinking at this level, at this biological and microscopic level. Wonderful. Anyway, so little bit of information here. Updated hygiene routine. This started in June 2022. They were brushing using a hydroxyapatite toothpaste. I'm a big fan. And flossing twice a day after breakfast, after dinner, before bedtime. There was an interdental cleaner, tongue scraper. That was added. If you're going to reset the oral microbiome, you've got to scrape off what's on the tongue. And water pick with warm water. That was something he already did, the patient, before this. Soaking the dental appliances, including a toothbrush, interdental cleaners, anything that went in the mouth, water pick heads, and night guards in dilute hydrogen peroxide and water solution one hour before use. This is very important. This shows how we can reseed and reinfect ourselves with things that we're putting in our mouth. This also demonstrates how a mom can pass on her oral microbiome to her children. And her children, based on mom's microbiome, oral microbiome, can get a lot of cavities or not. This also demonstrates the effect that xylitol gum has. We did an episode on this a few few episodes ago, I will I will try and remember to put the show notes in that just so you get the complete picture here. If mom chews xylitol gum before the kids kiddo's teeth come come in, that child is 65% less likely to get cavities. This is how it all it all ties back to the oral microbiome. Drinking boiled water to reduce contamination. I would have just recommended distilled water, but that this this is just uh, illustrates that you you have to have clean water. You can reinfect yourself with clean water. I would have recommended maybe a new toothbrush every few weeks. Not drinking from the same glass. Putting it always grabbing a new glass when you grab a drink. Making sure you're using a dishwasher. Maybe that's a little too paranoid, but you can reinfect yourself very easily. Also, partner. I would have asked if this patient had a partner and how was his or her oral microbiome doing, that would have been also very interesting. Perhaps there is no partner in this case study. Also children. Okay, we don't need to flog that horse. Okay, incorporate xylitol. That is, uh, incorporate the xylitol, take the oral probiotics. The oral probiotics in this case were heavy on the L. ruturi, very common, twice a day. Quite a pretty common approach uh, in terms of what bugs to add. There were probably a few others. 
And then incorporating the xylitol, that's easy. That was the xylitol mint several times a day. Unfortunately, that led to bloating and bowel irritation, which can happen. The therapeutic effect for xylitol is probably 6 to 10 grams, sorry, milligrams per chew. You just have to chew for a few minutes. And, and that, if swallowed, it looks like this was a mint, right? If swallowed and dissolved, that would can cause bloating. It's an un, undigestible sugar. I would have just recommended xylitol gum, the PPL gum that we also did an episode on. I think it was the same xylitol, mom chewing xylitol episode. That is on our store at askthedentist.com. And that has a very specific dosage listed on the packaging as well. And don't chew xylitol gum if it's not clean, if it has magnesium stearate in it, and if it doesn't mention the dose of xylitol that it's in, it, that is in the gum, or the mint, or the mouthwash. They were instead of the mints, they were switched to a xylitol solution that gets spit out. No issue there with ingestion of xylitol, hence no bloating and no bowel irritation. Pretty simple switch. Uh, sounds like you had a great dentist that was really on it. Anyway, I'm going to cut right to the end here. Happy ending, positive shift to health and a stabilized oral microbiome. That's uh, a little redundant because a stabilized oral microbiome always leads to a healthy outcome. Uh, the serratia marcesins levels actually dropped to zero. This was after testing. Let's see, the patient retested with bristle in July 2022, only one to two weeks after starting to consume xylitol. And the serratia abundance was still elevated at 61% of entire microbiome. It hadn't really, essentially it hadn't changed. It was 58% before that at, at this point. And then in follow-up tests, after continued xylitol use, serratia marcesense abundance dropped to zero and was undetected in patient sample. Undetected. That test was, there were three of them to, to follow up. So it was July. It was, wasn't until October so a few months later, let's see, August, September, yeah. So two to three months later, and that's about what it takes to reset an oral microbiome. I've talked to Dr. David Lin about this, and he agrees it's probably about six to eight weeks, although in this case it may have taken longer or should have taken longer, it may have taken longer, but six to eight weeks to reset or at least remodulate or begin to see a significant improvement in diversity and numbers of commensal bacteria. So he was re so he tested in October, uh, found to have zero serratia marcesins, tested in February of 2023, tested in April 2023, and no more abscesses and significant improvement in clinical symptoms. Frequent abscesses, the six to eight or six to nine of them a year that he was getting, Hasn't occurred since January of 2023. No longer has bleeding during dental cleanings and very minimal inner dental plaque, calculus, and staining. No comment on bone loss, although that's difficult. That's going to take longer to figure out. That takes longer to happen, to, to occur. Although I, I think it probably will, will arrest itself at that point. And then essentially the commensal bacteria increased dramatically and the diversity was within the range. Let's see, commensal bacteria scores on bristle testing went from 0.3 to 10 on the initial test, and including, and then to 9.5 on follow-up tests. The bacterial diversity went from zero out of 10. 
extremely low on initial test to 1.5 plus, that's within a healthy range, and in, also as well in the last three follow-up tests. Again, you have to keep testing to see, there's some wonderful charts here, to see progression, curves, trending, all of that is so important. And the gum, and more importantly here, just happen chance here, not, not happen chance, but wonderfully and predictably, the gum inflammation score decreased from 9.9 over 10 to less than 5. Not a big improvement, but significant improvement. I mean, not a perfect improvement. We would like to see zero, but a significant improvement. And I think over time, I think this score will drop. So wonderful outcome here. I think, I think it's, I think this illustrates wonderfully how important testing is. Now we have testing in dentistry. I'm so thankful that we have the bristle test. You really can't treat what you can't see. It, I mean, I, I say that often. This illustrates it perfectly. Imagine not knowing about the SNM bug in this case. This would have gone on probably to the end of life of this patient, and it would have cost tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars. It would have been painful. Loss of a dentition, teeth would have been lost, implants. And it may actually, well, not may, it certainly would have shortened the patient's life to some degree. And also think of the quality of life as well. One thing I wanted to add, it looks like what came to mind for me, I'm just throwing this in, um, but I think this patient may have been a mouth breather. Uh, there was a lot of staining and a lot of dental plaque buildup. I would have uh, addressed mouth breathing at night, one third of the day with a mouth open. That certainly would have added to all this. Maybe that was um, addressed. But in any case, this is a wonderful example of how testing at your dentist is so important. I, I really recommend you, even if you're healthy, get a baseline reading. It's not that expensive. I think one day insurance will will be forced to cover this. The third parties will be forced to cover this. And if they were smart, they would realize, I mean, think of this patient having insurance, probably did, worked in the Silicon Valley, lived in the Silicon Valley. The patient outpay, uh, sorry, the insurance outpay on this would easily have been tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Typically, patients have a maximum of fifteen hundred to two thousand in the Silicon Valley, and that would have all been spent on periodontal therapy over the course of from being mid forties to mid eighties. If if the insurance co company would have paid for a hundred dollar test, that that would have impacted their payout over time greatly. Uh, I think you know where I'm going with that. The insurance companies have to wake up. Dentists are waking up to this. They are finding some way to get this to the patient maybe integrating it into their costs and then passing it on to the insurance that way. However you do it, get tested, find out what's going on in your mouth and help your dentist do a better job. Help your hygienist do a better job. It's good to know what's going on in there. And if it wasn't for this information now we have about the oral microbiome and also now the ability to, on a, on a very on a very detailed level test for the oral microbiome, we, we would still be in the dark ages of dentistry. And that this was only in now for five last five or six years. So maybe that's a bit extreme. We are great clinicians. We need to be more, we need to be more scientific. We need to be more research oriented as clinicians. We need to know more what we're treating. We have the skills. Now we have the knowledge and we can, that gets us to a, a more precise and more accurate diagnosis. 
Anyway, I hope that was helpful. Case study. If you liked case studies, I've got a few of them myself. I talk to other dentists all the time. If there's something specifically you want to hear about, maybe it's something unusual about decay or geographic tongue or ulcerations of the palate, low saliva flow, give me some feedback. Send me, send me an email and let me know if, what kind of case study you would like to see, and, and I'll bring it up. Again, we all learn a lot from case studies. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Bristle. I'm going to reach out to Dr. David Lynn and tell him this was so impressive. It just gave me goosebumps reading it out loud again and conveying this information to you. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next week. Next episode's going to be another zinger, I think. There's a dentist out there that is recommending products that I cannot believe that this dentist is recommending them. I think most of you know of this. You've A lot of you have pointed this out to me and asked me what's going on here. I'm going to clear the air on this. I'm just going to give you a scientific, factual report on the products that this dentist is recommending, and I will let you decide whether it's good or bad for your oral microbiome. See you next week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Ask the Dentist. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Mike Fry. Drop me a line at mark at askthedentist.com if you have any comments or suggestions, I'd love to hear them. And if you liked this episode, please leave us a review on your podcast app. Thanks for listening and especially for taking an interest in oral health. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.